Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Village Farms International's first quarter 2020 financial results conference call. Yesterday, Village Farms issued a news release reporting its financial results for the first quarter ended March 31, 2020. That news release, along with the company's financial statements, are available on the company's website at villagefarms.com under the investors heading. Please note that today's call is being broadcast live over the Internet and will be archived for replay both by telephone and via the Internet beginning approximately one hour following completion of the call. Details of how to access the replays are available in yesterday's news release. Before we begin, let me remind you that forward-looking statements may be made today during or after the formal part of this conference call. Certain material assumptions were applied in providing these statements many of which are beyond our control. These statements are subject to a number of risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those expressed or implied in forward-looking statements. A summary of these underlying assumptions, risks, and uncertainties is contained in the company's various securities filings with the SEC and the Canadian regulators, including its Form 10-K for the year ended December 31, 2019, and the Form 10-Q for the quarter ended March 31, 2020, which is available on Edgar and CEDAR. These forward-looking statements are made as of today's date and accept as required by applicable securities laws. We undertake no obligation to publicly update or revise any such statements. I would now like to turn the call over to Michael DiGilio, Chief Executive Officer of Village Farms International. Please go ahead. Thanks, Michelle, and thank you to everyone for joining us today. With me for today's call is Village Farms Chief Financial Officer, Stefan Ruffini. In the agenda for today's call, I'll start with a review of the highlights of the quarter, most notably the fifth consecutive quarter of profitability for Pure Sun Farms as we saw a significant quarter-to-quarter ramp up in retail branded sales. Steve will then review our financial results and I'll return to discuss why we remain so confident in the future of our company and then uh, be happy to take questions. But before I, I start, I just, before I review this quarter, I'd like to provide an update uh, with respect to our operations during COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, we are grateful to report that all of our village farms and Pure Sun Farms facilities whether Canada, U.S., or Mexico, remain fully open and operational as they have throughout the pandemic. The health and well-being of our employees, customers, vendors, partners, and their families continues to be our top priority. We are continuing to adhere to additional health and safety practices as per municipal, state, provincial, and federal health authority recommendations over and above the already very high standard of hygiene practices and protocols already in place as a highly regulated food producer. We have always taken our role as one of the largest suppliers of year-round fresh quality produce in North America, 
and the consumers we service very seriously, bringing that same dedication to Pure Sun Farms. But never have we taken our role more seriously than during the current environment. And I'd like to acknowledge all of our employees company-wide who are working tirelessly to ensure health and safe produce is getting to our retail partners. And in particular, I'd like to thank all those who played a role in helping us feed over 10,000 families in Texas with donations of over 200 tons of produce throughout the state to local food, banks, and pantries. We are fortunate during this difficult time that we operate essential businesses that thus far have remained largely unaffected by the pandemic. Now turning to Pure Sun Farms, of which I remind you, we now own just shy of 59% as of April 2nd. Pure Sun Farms continues to clearly set the standard in the Canadian cannabis industry for growing capabilities, best-in-class facilities and operations, cost of cultivation in a greenhouse managerial, managerial acumen and brand performance. And it continues to be one of the few profitable Canadian cannabis suppliers, not just this quarter, but now for five consecutive quarters. This performance is unmatched in Canada. As expected during the first quarter, Pure Sun Farm saw a significant ramp up in sales volume following its planned transition to predominantly retail branded sales from the fourth quarter. Total net sales increased 25% year on year to just over 18 million with 8.5 million of that generated by retail branded sales to provincial distributors. That's a 118% increase in dollar sales from Q4 on a 179% increase in kilograms from the fourth quarter as well. And I want to remind everyone that Q1 was just the second quarter of retail branded sales for Pure Sun Farms. Sequential growth was also the result of sales activity in the wholesale market. While positive, I do note that we expect wholesale sales to be lumpy for the foreseeable future. The significant increase in retail branded sales in Q1 was driven by a number of positive factors. Pure Sun Farms dry cannabis product continue to be favored by consumers in each of the three provinces that we are selling. In Ontario, during the first quarter, Pure Sun Farms once again sold more dried cannabis than any other brand with the Ontario Cannabis Store. That's on both a volume basis and a dollar basis. That makes the second consecutive quarter that Pure Sun Farms was the top-selling brand with the OCS each of the two quarters since its retail launch, right out of the gate. And once again, Pure Sun Farms had the top-selling product with the OCS by both volume and dollars sold. In the first four months of the year, Pure Sun Farms captured 14.3% of the Ontario dried cannabis market, with market share jumping to more than 20% in the month of April. Pure Sun Farms' goal is to capture at least 20% of the dried cannabis market nationally in Canada over the long term. Yes, it's too early in the, to say, but this is just a single month of data for Ontario alone. But we think it's a strong indication that we can achieve our goal. Retail sales growth was also driven by the start of shipments for the retail market to its third province, Alberta, where Pure Sun Farms product is having great feedback from both retailers and consumers. At $60 per capita annual consumption, Alberta is by far the leader of the five largest provinces. 
clear evidence of the critical role that bricks and mortar retail stores play in driving sales. I will note here that the robust sales growth and brand performance in Ontario is in a market that remains significantly underserved on a bricks and mortar store basis. Per capita sales in Ontario is under $25. And for additional content, pure capita consumption, per capita consumption in the U.S. states open for two years or more are even higher than Alberta with Colorado leading the way at $99, followed by Oregon, 97, and Washington State at 89, as opposed to Ontario at 25. Huge difference. Recently, Pure Sun Farms took a major step towards launching its fourth province, receiving approval from the Saskatchewan Liquor and Gaming Authority to sell to private retailers in that province. It is now preparing to begin shipping. Like Alberta, Saskatchewan punches well above its weight, representing 6% of Canada's cannabis sales with just 3% of the population. Q1 was also further confirmation of Pure Sun Farms' advantage around cost, cultivation costs, with an all-in cultivation cost for Q1, which, as always, includes depreciation expense of $0.88 cents per gram, bringing the average for the past four quarters to less than $0.74. Cents. And as a reminder, cultivation costs are higher during the winter quarters when yields are naturally lower and supplemental lighting is required due to the few hours of sunlight than in the summer period. We are confident that this industry-leading greenhouse cultivation cost will continue to not only support further market share growth in the legal market, but to capture meaningful share from the illicit market. Competing directly with the illicit market is what will truly drive sales. It's the key near-term strategy for Pure Sun Farms, and the tactics to achieve this are in place and working. At the same time, product quality, strains and blends, and potency remain paramount. The team is continually striving to even further elevate the already high levels of its products while continually working to bring the cost of cultivation down even further. It's a continuous improvement process that never ends. And when we think safety, specifically around handling and pesticide use, especially now, will increasingly become more important to consumers. And the tax revenue paid by the legal trade will become increasingly important to governments, which we think is good for the entire industry. Finally, on price, there is no doubt that the number of Canadian suppliers needs to contract for the health of the entire industry. And we believe the current trends in, price, in the pricing environment, which we are leading, will see to this eventually. In late March, Chris Informs launched its first large format value offering, a 28-gram package with the same high quality that Kirsten Farms has become known for. The product has the lowest price per gram of any dried cannabis product on the market in the three provinces in which it is currently sold. And I want to just share with you some of the social media comments from consumers themselves, which underscores the strategy to take share from the illicit trade. The first one, quote, after my good luck with the 28-gram bag I acquired of the Furson Farms Indica blend pulled me back to the legal market. The fact I could purchase a 28-gram bag at a pretty reasonable cost made me switch from the black market. Another quote, this is what the illegal market should fear. Another quote, this is how you combat the black market. It is very quickly becoming the top-selling product in Ontario, and in the first month in the market by both volume and dollars. Value 
is even more important during these tough economic times when consumers are much more price sensitive. And this product sets an OCS record for sales volume for a single product during a one-week period in the dried flower category. The success of Pure Sun Farm's 28-gram offering is not a surprise. We are increasingly seeing the market demanding high-quality product at a value price. And the provincial distributors seem to be taking note. For instance, in April, the chief commercial officer for the entire Ontario Cannabis Store, in an interview, discussed the importance of price and quality in taking share from the legacy market and noted the OCS had brought its pricing down by 25% since the beginning of the year and even gave, a shout, gave out a shout to Pure Sun Farms by name. We believe there is no better partner than Pure Sun Farms to support the OCS in achieving its objective. And we very much look forward to continuing to play a leading role here. Pure Sun Farms can and will continue to be aggressive around pricing when it launches additional products, including in cannabis 2.0 products, and again, with the key attributes of quality and safety in mind. Preparations for the launch of oil products and 2.0 products has accelerated, and I'm pleased to report that we now expect our first oil and 2.0 products to be launched this coming summer. Well, I know everyone is eager to know the specifics here. For competitive reasons, we are going to wait until the launch to say any more, but it won't be long. Now turning to our U.S. CBD program. On our last call, I discussed how our profound disappointment and really bewilderment that following the federal government's decriminalization of hemp and CBD at the end of 2018, its very own agencies have, have failed to provide the regulatory clarity to enable law-aiding companies to participate and help this huge opportunity realize its potential. The industry has essentially come to a standstill pending the FDA providing a clear path forward. And we are now not only seeing companies dedicated to the space struggling, but failing. And it's clearly caused the large retail players to put brakes on their strategies for CBD products. The economic impact of this foot dragging is especially egregious now when the economy is in dire need of any and all drivers of economic activity and growth. Clear FDA leadership and guidance is required and required now. That said, we continue to be proactive in exploring additional paths forward that we can act on prudently in the nearer term. We are actively engaged in market research and looking at product development that would allow us to move forward with the current regulatory environment. And then finally, in our produce business, during the first quarter, we saw elevated pricing due to the high demand as consumers rushed to stock up when concerns over the pandemic took hold. However, we were only able to take partial advantage as we had to honor our existing contracts with our major retailers at prices that were below the spot market. Uh, in addition, volumes from our Texas facility continue to be below normal production volumes. Importantly, with our newest growing partners coming online, we have now replaced all of the capacity that was displaced by cannabis in Canada and then some. The organization of breadth and strength and experience underlying our produce business remains a tremendous foundation to which to transform into new, high-value, high-growth opportunities such as CBD. And with our greenhouse operations among the very largest and best located in the United States, there is no one, in our opinion, in better position for a federally legalized cannabis market, something we are more optimistic about given the expected need for stimulus and tax revenue going forward in this election year. 
We have more than $300 million U.S. dollars in replacement value in our U.S. greenhouse assets. None of our publicly traded Canadian peers can say that. I'd like to turn the call over to Steve now to walk through the financial results. Steve. Thanks, Mike. Uh, for those new to the Village Farm story, our cannabis joint venture, Pearson Farms, cannot be consolidated for accounting purposes, even though we own the majority of it, as the Pearson Farms board is jointly controlled. That said, we continue to provide full results for Pearson Farms to the investment public, so you can do comparisons with the other public Canadian licensed producers. The Pearson Farms March 31st balance sheet and Q1 income statement is contained in footnote number seven in our financial statements. Um, it is in U.S. dollars rather than Canadian dollars as Village Farms is required to report its statutory results in U.S. dollars. In an attempt to help the readers, we included a financial summary uh, in our press release in both Canadian dollars and U.S. dollars. Unfortunately, uh, we did not translate two figures correctly. While the Pearson Farms net sales figure for Q1 is correct in U.S. dollars at $13.1 the breakout between retail and wholesale is not. The retail or, or branded sales figure should be in U.S. dollars $6.2 and the wholesale in U.S. dollars should be $6.9 The Canadian figures, as shown in the press release, are correct. As stated in our April earnings call, Pearson Farms experienced significant quarter-on-quarter -quarter growth in terms of sales and volume to, to provincial governments. With provincial sales of $8.5 million uh, in the quarter against Q4-19 sales of approximately $3.9 million or a, for a 118% increase, uh, and that was primarily driven by the increase in volume of 179% going from 1100, roughly 1,100 grams in Q4 of 19 to over 3,000 kilograms in the first quarter of 2020. This revenue represents sell-in um, in Q1 2020 versus sell-in in Q4 of 2019. Uh, as Mike said, Q1 of 2020 benefit from the initial sell-in to Alberta and the sell-in of a large format to Ontario uh, Cannabis Store. When we're stating our market share figures that Mike uh, provided, those represent sell-through. Those figures are provided by the OCS uh, retail channel uh, and, and provided uh, in P POS point-of-sale data to the Pearson Farms brand team. The sell-through or POS data has been very strong for the large format product, particularly in April um, as it's hit store shelves. Uh, you will note that this does come at a lower price per gram, obviously, uh, with a lower gross margin to Pearson Farms than the retail sales um, of our pouch SKUs. The Q1 2020 wholesale business, which was non-existent in Q4 of 19, as Mike said, was lumpy, was primarily driven by transactions with two Canadian extraction LPs who were seeking dried cannabis flour in exchange for various forms of distillate. Pearson Farms entered into these transactions due to both the availability of high-grade extraction flour and trim, um, as well as the delay in its extraction license from Health Canada. Um, 
So in order for Pure Sun Farms to enter the Cannabis 2.0 market in the, in the summer of 2020, it was in need of distillate. Um, and as Mike mentioned, we'll be launching its Cannabis 2.0 SKUs uh, this summer. As reported last May, um, so May of 2019, Pearson Farms was anticipated to experience a very strong improvement year on year in our cost per gram. Uh, as the Delta 3 facility, while it was fully licensed in the Q1 of 2019, it was not fully operational as it wasn't fully planted. Uh, so now the market can see the benefit of economies of scale uh, with a, a full winter of full-scale production, uh, as well as an additional year of experience. We brought down our cost per gram by 36% on a year-in-year basis from $1.38 a year ago to $0.88 cents this quarter for a $0.50 cent per gram difference. I also want to quickly review the Q1 financial impact of the March settlement agreement between Pure Sun Farms, Village Farms, and Emerald. Both Village Farms and Pure Sun Farms recognized income in Q1 as a result of the transactions contained in the settlement. Pure Sun Farms recognized U.S. dollar 4.3 million of income in exchange for the cancellation of the outstanding um, liabilities that remained under the 2019 supply agreements. Uh, as well as the future supply agreement uh, that Emerald um, wanted to get out of for 2020, 2021, and 2022. Uh, the amount, uh, the $4.3 million in U.S. dollars, represents the remaining shareholder loan that was outstanding uh, between Emerald and Pearson Farms at $5.9 million Canadian. So one can look at this figure essentially as either debt forgiveness income or can look at it as essentially uh, product revenues, um, but could not be recognized as product revenues since no product was delivered. So in any event, uh, it represents from an accounting perspective an income recognition of 4.3 million U.S. dollars and is, is a one-time benefit, so has not been included in the EBITDA of either Pure Sun Farms or Village Farms as presented in our financials. Additionally, as part of the settlement, Emerald transferred 2.5% equity stake of Pearson Farms to Village Farms, uh, which resulted in Village Farms recognizing other income of $4.7 million or $6.25 million Canadian um, as the value of the Pearson Farms stock received. To avoid, avoid any guesswork on, on the various stock blogs, uh, if you do the math, that's, uh, that's an agreed value between the parties of Pearson Farms of $250 million. Our produce business, like cannabis, is an essential business, and as Mike said, has not experienced any production issues related to C19, for which we are very fortunate. Uh, that said, retail demand uh, has been volatile. Uh, we saw very strong pricing, as Mike mentioned, in March um, during what I call the hoarding period. In, in early April, uh, we saw a fall off in demand. Um, no, no, even the retailers couldn't really explain that um, because people were buying other things other than, other than fresh produce. Uh, but recently, we've seen very strong pricing uh, in, in early May uh, compared to historical levels for, for early May. Uh, and fortunately for us, we dropped one of our large retail contracts effective March 31st, so we are benefiting from that improved pricing um, in, our, in our own results in, in Q2. 
just one thing to note, uh, while not much happened with our U.S. hemp business in, the, in Q1, um, we are having continued interest with respect to our existing biomass. Uh, I do want to note we do have a, we did receive in March our license to grow hemp in Texas, uh, but if this stage we are not um, embarking on that and, until these regulatory hurdles are out of, out of our way. And with that, I'll turn it over to Mike. Okay, thank you, Steve. <clears throat> so in conclusion, here we are a little over a year and a half into the legalized market for recreation, can, recreational cannabis in Canada. Amidst a market that has been slower to develop than expected and smaller currently than originally expected, but with just as much long-term potential, the industry is now clearly segmenting into leaders, survivors, and everyone else. From day one, we conceived of and built Pure Sun Farms to not just be a leader in the cannabis industry, but to be the leader. We focused first on getting the cultivation underpinnings right, providing the lowest cost of cultivation in the industry. We then installed what we believe is the best management team in the business, and then that team launched what immediately became and has consistently been the top-selling dry cannabis brand in Canada's largest market. So I'm going to come back to something you've heard me say before. It's, it's Ferrari's famous motto that we are the competition. And yes, it's a bold statement, but one that I'm proud to simply make about Pure Sun Farms, not with arrogance, but with confidence. It's a confidence I've had since day one about 30 years ago in our large-scale, low-cost cultivation, knowledge, experience, and DNA, operational know-how, and best-in-class facilities and operation. And it's a confidence I have today based on consistently being the top-selling dried cannabis brand in Ontario, having the lowest cost of greenhouse cultivation in the country, and quarter after quarter generating profitability. No one knows exactly what the next six to 12 months look like. The unprecedented withdrawals of financial guidance by public companies, even the largest and most mature, is evidenced that. That said, I am comfortable with where our businesses are today, and I remain very confident what lies ahead. While the Canadian cannabis industry will likely see some choppiness in the near term due to the effects of the pandemic, Pearson Farms has a number of catalysts that directly leverage its leading brand performance the build-out of retail store network in Ontario, further expansion across Canada, and the introduction of new products, including Cannabis 2.0, that make for a very exciting 2020 and beyond. So thank you for listening, and uh, we'd be happy to take some questions if anyone has it. Operator. At this time, if anybody would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. Again, that would be star 1 on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from Aaron Gray from Alliance Global Partners. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Thanks for the questions, and uh, congrats on the quarter and the strong uh, market share momentum heading into April. You're welcome. Just a first one from me, just in terms of, you know, the commentary on the price per gram for adult use. And just as, you know, we look to have these large formats kind of become a higher – portion of the mix going forward, you know, how should we think about that, you know, $2.08 per gram um, kind of trending and how much does that kind of come down as we look to model it out going forward? Thank you. Uh, you know, I think probably not going to answer that directly, but uh, I think in general that's our philosophy is, as I've 
clearly said, it's we have to be competitive with the you know legacy business, and uh, uh, the pricing will just come down as we see that penetration in you know to the point where we believe the penetration rate will increase, and we're going to remain with that strategy uh, as we launch these other products this summer, and I think it'll be much clearer maybe uh, when we report the third quarter how that's going to look. So. All right, great. Thanks for that. And then, and then the second question is just on on 2.0 and the plans for launch this summer. You know, while I can certainly appreciate for competitive reasons why you don't want to, you know, disclose too much, could you maybe instead just talk about, you know, what you're seeing right now in the marketplace and maybe the opportunities, you know, you see, you know, specifically in oils or vapes or edibles, you know, for Pure Sun Farms, you know, specifically given, you know, how well you executed on the second mover advantage and Canvas 1.0. So any commentary on your view of the competitive landscape and 2.0 products would be helpful. Thanks. Well, I think the, you know, the, the management team at Pure Sun Farms sat back and watched, uh, as they've done before, what was working uh, from others and what was not working. So uh, that's proven to be uh, a positive for them. And uh, in terms of not just the performance of the product, but where the pricing needs to be. And I think uh, uh, as they launch uh, their first product, and I'm not going to say what it is, I think you'll see the same aggressive pricing strategy uh, that they launched uh, when they started retail sales in the fourth quarter. So, uh, again, that, that will show clearer when we report the uh, second quarter. Thank you. All right, great. Thanks for that, and best of luck. Thank you. Your next question comes from Andrew Parthenow from Stiefel. Your line is open. Hey, thanks, and congrats on a on a good quarter. Um, so I, I I'd like to talk a little bit about uh, the supply chain dynamics. Um, you know, at the beginning of this year, we were and the launch of 2.0 products, we were hearing that overall provincial distributors were you know, changing their ordering uh, dynamics and ordering more frequently but less volume in order to be closer to just-in-time type of uh, ordering dynamic. And just wondering now with COVID, um, have you seen any changes in, in that in that sense? Uh, perhaps volumes increasing or or higher frequency in in, in ordering. Uh, no, I think, you know, there's so many moving parts, it's really hard to get a handle on it, but I would probably say that, uh, like many other consumer products, uh, there was a, a higher purchase uh, towards the uh, end of the first quarter, but I think that's going to thin out. Uh, my view is that's going to probably contract somewhat in the second quarter and then uh, probably get back on on track uh, in the third and fourth quarter. Uh, I think, you know, if you look at Ontario, uh, sales aren't quite even back to the level they were in January. So I think it's still, still need to get through the second quarter because uh, uh, it's got to give the uh, provincial governments time to move through the inventory assessment they have before they start replenishing. Okay, thanks. And and maybe if I can uh, dive a little deeper uh, towards your comment in Ontario, um, are you able to maybe give a little bit more color and 
in how you know click and collect and delivery is doing um i know you just said that they're not back towards the level in january but could you give a little bit of color in terms of you know types of magnitude or potentially um you know are they suffering from lack of inventory or is it just not being able to fulfill demand as as uh, as quickly as before Andrew, this is Steve. We're, we, we're a bit removed from, from those level of details. Um, actually, from a, from, a, from a delivery perspective, I was quite excited about it. Uh, one of the advantages the legacy business has, um, you know, the dealer is no longer arrested if he delivers it to the house, so, which is what was happening. So actually, the development of them closing, the, you know, freaking us all out, closing the stores, uh, and then changing their minds and having store pickup and home delivery, hopefully home delivery continues, uh, you know, once things go back to whatever the new normal is. So I, we don't have specifics for that, but I think it's also benefited a large format as well if people want to make less trips to, the, to, to go out. So I, ho hopefully it turns out to be a long-term benefit for the legal industry. Great. Thanks for taking my questions again. Certainly. The next question comes from Doug Cooper from Beacon Securities. Your line is open. Hi, good morning, guys, and congratulations on a great quarter. Um, just want to follow up your comments of 20% market share of the OCS in April. Can you talk a little bit about uh, the breadth of your distribution beyond the OCS in Ontario? We, Doug, Steve, we don't, unfortunately, the other provincial governments don't provide that to Pearson Farms, so I, I just pure conjecture. I, I know other people say they're X percent of the total market, but I, you know, we've asked Pearson Farms what the, what the market share is in these other provincial um, sales, and they said they don't have the information. So I, I we can't we're not going to report what we can't support. Right. What about just how many doors are you? Or how many actual retail stores are you, is your product available in Ontario of the actual retail stores? What percentage? I, I don't know. I haven't asked the Pearson Farms team. I, I they might know that. I can get back to you maybe, but I don't, I don't know. Okay. Do you um in, just in terms of the uh, the large uh, uh, format? Uh, can you just remind us what the THC level is in that? Is it sort of eighteen to twenty two percent? Is that the sort of range telling in? Uh, yeah. I think you know we don't want to. Look, it varies somewhat, but I mean that 28 packs in indica, and it's uh, the sweet spot there is probably in the 15, 16 range. And uh, uh, you know we're always striving to uh, get that balance better and improve on that. But uh, for the most part, that's the current range that it's in, and uh, being well accepted there. Can you talk about uh, there's some other you know kind of value packs uh, being offered in the marketplace? What is the the price advantage or the or the uh, that you have over those other value packs uh, in terms of well I guess in terms of where the retail is pricing them? Um, and uh, I guess just where yeah. Well, I I think what we've heard from Materials that's the lowest price we we have the lowest price uh, they they they're selling at the lowest price they have they've come off 25 percent as I said and and uh, our product is being sold at the lowest price but I think the key differential to anyone else is we're profitable doing it right and, and is it retailing just remind us around is it around 99 bucks uh, before HST yeah. is that where we're at 
Yes. Okay. Um, I think you guys mentioned, uh, unless I missed it on the call, uh, the strategy for opening up D2, given this environment. Uh, you know, we're going to wait and see what transpires here. I mean, look, uh, we don't know. There's so many moving parts. I mean, where where the pandemic uh, changes or what happens in the fall. So we want to be very cautious because uh, till there's a you know a resurgence of the bricks and mortar stores, uh, we don't want to have an overcapacity. It's a prudent thing to do, and we're actually will monitor even Delta three. Uh, we're very focused on having our uh, capacity meet our demand. And we can even, you know, cut that back. I mean, remember, Delta Three has 16 grow rooms. So uh, if we wanted to cut that back to 14 or 13, we could. And then uh, half of Delta Two is ready to go. So we can move that going forward towards uh, year-end or the beginning of the year as we see where the market goes. So. The good news is long-term, we can double our capacity with the same uh, cost structure, uh, which I think is now starting to prove how it differentiates us from the competitors and uh, get to a double capacity going forward. And at the same time, if we have to curtail with 16 grow rooms and Delta three, we can adjust that uh, pretty quickly. As you know, it's an eight-week cycle for us inside the flower room. So, uh, but we just got to monitor it because it's really hard to see what the, you know, the demand is going to be in the current situation. Your next question will come from Rahu Sauragasser from Raymond James. Your line is open. Uh, morning, Mike and Steve. Uh, thanks so much for taking my questions, and, and let me re reiterate: uh, congrats on you know a strong quarter, and also really like six uh, six straight quarters of positive EBITDA. That's that's really unprecedented in the industry. So you know, a huge congratulations to you and the you and the team. So uh, there's been a lot of questions on the retail, and of course that's uh, really important. I wanted to sort of focus on your product split. Um, you know, we saw that there's been a real reemergence of wholesale. Uh, almost, you know, sort of about a 50-50 split between your your, your uh, adult use and, and your wholesale. So where do you see, you know, that wholesale going? Do you see that being durable? Do you see that, you know, um, being a, potentially a larger proportion of your revenue, particularly as the market continues to sort of, you know, be slow? Uh, and then sort of as a follow-up to that, like who do you see um, as, as the primary buyers are, the extractors? Uh, the other LPs, because that really kind of speaks to the competitor advantage that you guys are are, are building. Yeah, I think uh, you know our our strategy is to be a fully vertically integrated company. So that ultimately means that we want to control uh, our whole production and uh, uh, and everything we do into cannabis 2.0 ourselves. So. Uh, yeah, I think the retail, at the end of the day, we're shooting to be a very, you know, high percentage of retail at the 60-70% level, let's say. So to the extent that wholesale is there, and you're always going to have to have another outlet because of uh, quality, consistency, that's just the way it is. It's still a farm product, right? But I don't know what the future is going to hold on, on wholesale. I mean, uh, I think it would probably be working more with extractors for uh, the foreseeable future. 
Uh, believe it or not, there are other LPs that are uh, asking us for product, and uh, I'm a little bewildered by it, but uh, maybe it has to do with cost structure. But I think as this contraction takes place in the industry at some point, that's going to really change what the dynamics between wholesale and retail for us are. Uh, everybody's still in the game right now, even with tremendous losses on a quarterly basis that we're seeing, uh, because I think as long as they're able to get financing, uh, there's just, you know, there's like 50 plus suppliers in the industry. It's just way too many. And I think that's going to have a, a varying impact on the wholesale dynamics. So, uh, I, I would think, re to answer your question more or less, retail, uh, we're shooting at retail as the largest percentage of our overall revenues. Great, that's, that's really helpful. And then sort of moving forward now to, to Cannabis 2.0. So, you know, you guys, as you said, Mike, you know, as second mover, you were able to use your cost advantage to, you know, drive, uh, you know, grabbing market share in, in the whole flower segment and what we're also seeing is, you know, likely in, in the wholesale segment over time. Um, and, you know, and again, like you said, you were able to actually do that profitably. Um, when it comes to Cannabis 2.0, the you know the cost of goods of, of of the flower is less of a key component, whereas formulation and intellectual property tends to be a, a, a driver of, of cost of goods. So you know how do, how are you managing your strategy in cannabis 2.0 uh, when you know your cost advantage in cultivation is not as you know as strong as as it is in cannabis 1.0. Yeah, well, I think, you know, yeah, to a degree it's an ingredient, but what we've done is like we've done in the past with Pure Sun Farms has done, and I think they've been brilliant about it, is they've watched everybody else position, you know, pick a product, I don't know, chocolate, vapes, whatever, and see how they position the pricing, and then they've come back in and analyzed where they can be overall. So I think more importantly, at the end of the day, uh, I know they can be much more aggressive than... That's why they wait, to see where the market is in the pricing structure, and then that evaluation, and I've seen that, has shown that they can be very aggressive over the competition. Uh, so even though it may be an ingredient, it still, uh, that, it still adds up to having an advantage. And keep in mind, you know, that, that the margins that, you know, the margins of 70 or 80 percent are just not realistic. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a CPG product, and as it matures out, I think it's going to have typical average CPG margins in the 30, 40 percent range. And, uh, you know, I think we're going to compete very well there. So, again, I think it's a great question that can be better answered on the third quarter uh, conference call. Right, right. Terrific. Uh, okay, right. Thanks, thanks again, and, and congratulations again. Thank you. The next question will come from Scott Fortune from Roth Capital Partners. Your line is open. Good morning. Uh, thank you, and congrats on the quarter. Um, a lot of the questions have been answered, but um, but I, I don't know if you break it down, percentage coming from Ontario and, and the different provinces, but can you provide just a little bit of color from Alberta and, and B.C. as far as the ramp or reorders are, are going there compared to what you experience in, in Ontario at all? Just kind of the, the throughput um, and, and reorders um, velocity from that standpoint. 
Yeah, I mean, the reorders are coming in, and that's something, actually, Scott, that we're looking at is, uh, you know, what's unique about it, at least from my experience, unlike dealing with the large retailers here in Canada, U.S., where we're rolling out our forecast and, and what we're going to be doing uh, a year ahead of time. It's really not that way currently in the cannabis sector in Canada. So it's hard to get uh, more of a handle on these projections going forward, but uh, we are sitting in a good position in British Columbia, and we, we just started with Alberta recently, so I think it's too early to say that was something that finally we got going actually in the first quarter. So I'll probably just feel better answering that question when we get some traction towards uh, reporting the second quarter. Okay. And then I know you guys are continuing to explore the, the other provinces. Congrats on, on Saskatchewan, but uh, Quebec and Manitoba are kind of two other large provinces that you guys look at. Well, obviously, you know, the, the, the apple of their eye is Quebec, but, um, you know, hopefully that will happen sometime, you know, soon, but I, I, I don't know, you know, we're not, Mike and I are not involved in the day-to-day, -day, but, you know, the, I know there's ongoing discussions there. I've asked about the Yukon, too, so I'm waiting to see about that. <laughs> okay. That's it for me. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. And our final question for today will come from Eric Delorier from Craig Hallam Capital. Your line is open. All right, thanks for taking my questions, guys. Uh, first one for me, a bit of a follow-up um, on the previous question. Um, I'm just wondering if you guys have noticed any change uh, in regulators' appetite uh, to either sign additional um, uh, supply agreements or to license additional retail stores in light of COVID, just any, any kind of impact that COVID may have on, uh, um, on regulators uh, signing new supply agreements or opening retail stores um, from your guys' point of view? No, not tied to regulation that we're aware of. Just uh, it's just kind of compressed and slowed things down. So, uh, but we haven't seen anything unusual. Just uh, just uh, just a slowdown because of the essential business issues in general. So uh, we haven't. Just like in the U.S., we haven't. But uh, but I will want to say, you know, with the U.S., I know that's not part of your question, but we're. We're starting to see some political uh, flavor towards uh, looking at the criminalization of cannabis, I think, due to the pandemic. It's probably not the way we wanted to get there, but uh, again, uh, that's a, a big possibility for village farms in the future should that happen in the next year. So, and, uh, you know, so that's a regulatory issue that we're looking very clearly at in the U.S. that would be beneficial to us going forward. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Um, and then last one for me, um, you know, great to see the kind of impact that your uh, low-cost bulk product um, has had in the market right now. Uh, you know, great demand, obviously seeing increased market share. Um, you guys mentioned that you have uh, new bulk products coming out, the Sativa blend, as well as um, some 14-gram products. Um, anything you can share on sort of when you expect that to maybe hit your guys' retail sales? Yeah. It's launched. I mean, it's it's launched. I I have we haven't seen POS data, but I think the initial shipments have shipped in yeah. to whichever provincial governments are are taking it. 
So I right. we'll, we'll have more, more to report on that, but you know, hopefully that does garner, garner Pearson Farms additional market share in, in the market those SKUs are in. All right, great. That's helpful. Um, well, thanks again, and uh, congrats, guys, and best of luck. Thanks, sir. Thanks. Thank you, Michelle. You're very welcome. And thank you, everyone. Uh, that'll conclude the calls, and thank you for participating today. It's uh, much appreciated, and uh, wishing everybody be safe. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. This will conclude today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.